Well, happy Easter. This is obviously a massive day in the church calendar and really just excited to be together. And if you have a Bible, we're just going to be at the end of the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 16 with me and maybe have a thumb in 1 Corinthians 15. What we've done this weekend, whoa, sorry about that. 1 Corinthians 15, is that okay? There's 15 chapters? Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you chirping me from the front row? It's Easter. Of any day, it's Easter. Mark 16, 1 Corinthians 15. Is that right? You know, I just, I, that's good. I love it. Um, we have been walking through Mark as part of our readings for this weekend into Passion Week through Palm Sunday. This week, obviously, with Good Friday and us hiking together it was a great time. Thank you, thank you for those of you that came. It was a great time just to kind of walk together. And we started, again, reading through um, parts of Passion Week towards the cross. And here we are, Mark 16 says this, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they may come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the that the stone had been rolled, uh, rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And they said to him, do not be... And he said to them, sorry, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, he who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell the other disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out several demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and they were weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. And after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he approached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, yeah, we're talking deadly poison on Resurrection Sunday, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Beautiful. Um, if you've been around for a while, you know that one thing we're often caught up in here is the big story of God. We often talk as a community and our teaching, this really leads our teaching 
just at a fundamental level, that there are chapters in this beautiful, grand story of God. It's like acts in a play. And one of the things that can be really helpful is thinking of it in light of this, just to kind of immerse ourselves in the story. Creation. God created the world good, and humanity was in a symbiotic relationship with God and the earth. There was complete shalom, right? Peace in the garden. I mean, they, the story says they were running around naked. That's peace. The gar- Welcome to church. The garden was a place where heaven and earth overlapped. Humans were created in the image of God to live out this cultural mandate by filling the earth, by working it. God gives them a job description that the primary way they would work is actually to take the creation project forward in everything they did. That's what it meant to bring God glory. It lasts two pages. Act two is the fall. Humans don't trust God's plan for the flourishing of all creation. Sound familiar? Just look at my own life at times, right? I think we could do some inner work just looking at ourselves. They choose out of their own volition to be their own God. They rebel against God's plan and they disobey his commands. This thing we don't talk a lot about in culture, sin, brokenness enters the world, and all of that peace, all of the goodness is fractured. Humans become separated and alienated from God, pain and suffering and evil, and like we talked last Easter, this kind of the the powers and principalities are at at odds with God and his creation that actually the ruler in many ways is seen as the Satan and his minions coming against God's good world. And so as you know in the story, over and over we talk about this, God was on a mission to redeem creation and humanity back to himself. What, what would happen that would actually take this forward? Well, God actually selects a family, a group of people of all, of all things, Not maybe necessarily the way that I would do it. Are you with me? I think of how broken I am and think that God would actually pick a family to kind of represent himself to the world. But this is what he does. Israel, act three in the story. God is on this relentless mission to bring humanity back to peace. And God's reconciliation project was this people, the nation of Israel, that was ultimately called out to be a light to the nations. Actually, I love one of the renderings of uh, that, that phrase about Israel is that through you, Israel, the world would receive the blessing. So the image, even in the language, you following me, is not like for them to hoard it to themselves and to kind of like create their little thing for themselves, but that God's original family was to be these people that would reflect to the world and through that, the world would receive this blessing. Now, how did that go? Anybody read the Bible before? Just read like three pages. The sad reality is that the majority of the Old Testament actually exposes the fact that Israel failed at this beautiful mission in the world. They fail to be God's light. Israel succumbs to the other religious spirits and the other religious uh, spirits and becomes part of the darkness that she had been sent to dispel. And so you get this picture, this kind of these three acts working early on, creation, the beauty, fall, the brokenness, and now God's broken family really at times not living out their calling. So what do we do? What does God do? From the very beginning in Genesis, you see and you just, you feel it in your bones when you read it in its original context, that from the very beginning, God had a mission, a family 
that would live this out and a Messiah. And so for hundreds of years, prophets were anticipating when the course of human history would change, right? Now, I know in, there's tension with our own culture because we're not waiting for a lot. Like, really, you think about it. There's nothing very much collectively, maybe outside of Easter dinner this afternoon. Collectively, though, as, as a people, especially Canadians, we don't have a lot of things that we anticipate and wait for. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, there was a longing in Israel that a Messiah would come to overthrow their oppressors. So think of Rome. Think of Caesar and his oppressive kingdom in their reality in the first century, they were waiting on the edge of their seat for something to change. And it comes in the weirdest of ways. What we see is that actually Jesus, and what we read here, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus is the climax of the reconciliation project. I know we don't wait for a lot, but Jesus, you gotta think, when he gets on the scene, is the fulfillment of Israel's story. Where Adam failed, Jesus did not. You out there? This is a story we push into. Where Israel failed, Jesus did not. Through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, Jesus defeated the powers of death, showed humanity what it means to truly be human, and ladies and gentlemen, he inaugurated his kingdom here on earth. Come on, somebody. Are you out there? It is Easter. Are you out there this morning? Listen, uh, and I say this often, and maybe this sounds kind of arrogant or whatever, I would not be wasting my time this morning if this were not true, right? We all have stuff going on. This is the story of God at hand. And the beautiful thing is, and we said this on Friday, we just kind of like, we lean into this every single year, this anticipation, especially through the season of Lent. I like how Michael Goheen puts it. He says it like this, scholar. He says, Jesus acts as the representative of the world and all its people and bears in his own being their destiny. I love that. In his death, he brings to end the old age dominated by sin and evil, satanic power and death. In his resurrection, he inaugurates the age to come. These events, they create a new humanity which participates in the de defeat of sin accomplished in his death and the beginning of new creation accomplished in his resurrection. Something is happening, brothers and sisters. Can you feel it? It's bigger and more beautiful than you and I could ever imagine that Jesus did something 2,000 years ago in, in inaugurating this kingdom, and it is still at hand. I look around this morning, and I know there's all sorts of things going on in our city and so much brokenness all around us, but new creation is bursting forth. What a beautiful space to actually look at a city and think, man, someday this, the, all the wrongs that we see and experience will be made right. N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but listen to what he says. And I know this is interesting language in our moment, but he says to colonize earth with the life of heaven. And I know that, again, in, in the story, in our, even in our own story, that's a, uh, that can be a painful word, but I think the picture Wright is trying to give us is that this will, this is in many ways God's space and this will be God's space forever. That Jesus is inaugurating something so big and beautiful. Now, we're gonna pause here, 
1 Corinthians 15, I promise you it's in your Bible. I'm just going to pick on you all morning, Lexi. It's great. 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's important just to look at how Paul sums this up, right? I often think of all of the stuff we engage ourselves in um, as the church, and we do stuff, ministry, joining in together, doing all that, um, all that we do as a church community. But it, it is interesting that when you ask and look at, if you were to ask Paul and look at what is the most important thing out of everything, everything that we put our hands to, everything we think as humans, this is how he would sum it up. He says this, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you in the church say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we uh, testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And so actually when you boil it down for Paul, the most important thing here is this idea of the resurrection. I'm thankful for the Bible in my hand and what it, in your hand and what it pushes us to, but ultimately early Christians, the thing that saw this movement grow, because remember they didn't have like individual Bibles in their hands. For some of us, we forget this. They would gather in home churches and read letters. Certainly there were scrolls and different things kind of passed along and preserved, but for a person to have an individual Bible like just was not a thing in that moment, the thing that let, lit the early church on fire obviously was this thing, the resurrection. So much so that Paul is like, hey, everything hinges on this, and if Jesus did not raise from the dead, here's a few things. Ready? One, our proclamation and our faith is useless. Welcome to church. <laughs> We're false witnesses. Oh, that sounds like fun, right? Like if this didn't happen, we are ultimately false witnesses. Our faith is futile. We're still dead in our sins. And then he goes on, those who are dead are hopeless because they've gone into the grave. They're hopeless. And those of us who are alive are ultimately hopeless if this resurrection did not happen. Should we just pray and go home on that one? That's not very good news, right? The picture, the picture that Paul is trying to give us is this, and the reason why we went towards 1 Corinthians 15, uh-oh, the, first, the reason why we went towards 1 Corinthians 15 this Easter is because we've been talking a lot about the body. We've taken weeks to look at a theology of the body and the importance of our bodies, and what, is G, uh, what does Paul say here when he says, of anything that's most important, it's this. The good news, the gospel, is this. Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the prototype. You with me? What happened to Jesus will happen to us. What happened to Jesus will happen to us. So certainly Easter is about the Messiah taking on the sins of the world, right? 
But resurrection reminds us that, that this didn't, just, just didn't happen to Jesus, but Paul is convinced. He's actually going against a, a sect, of, a religious sect in the moment called the Sadducees who did not believe in resurrection. And Paul is hammering away at the fact Jesus is the prototype. What happened to him will happen to us. And so with that comes the new reality that you and I will also raise from the dead. That, that the picture of Jesus coming out of the tomb is a, a future picture for you and I that actually right now, act four in this grand swooping kind of uh, story of God is the church, that we are now as the church these representatives around the world so in the Old Testament, God's mission was enacted through a people, Israel, that would be a blessing to the nations. And now, post-resurrection, the call for the church is to be exactly the same, that you and I are called to be a blessing to the nations, to embody God's kingdom here and now. Faith, not ethnicity, is not the marker of God's new humanity, and God longs to use the church on his mission of healing and reconciliation in the world. But the God of mission who stops at nothing to bring humanity back to himself, actually uses us as agents of reconciliation in the world. The story is bigger and beautiful than you've ever heard. And then ultimately, new creation. That what Jesus inaugurated 2,000 years ago, through his life, his death, his resurrection, with the anticipation that at the end of all things, the present age, this present age, Jesus will actually return and he's gonna bring heaven and earth back together and the kingdom of God will be felt in totality, wiping every hint of sin, every tear, every act of rebellion and creation. Heaven and earth will be reunited. At Jesus' return, there will be the resurrection of the living and the dead, just like what Paul said here, and God ultimately is not throwing this world out. His plan out of all of this is to bring humanity back, to bring us back, and it started 2,000 years ago. And the picture we get, just like they're running around naked in the garden, nothing to hold them back in the creation project. God, at the end of this age, will dwell with us, his people in a renewed world for all of freaking eternity. Again, what, why? You know, why do churches, why do people get, why is this such a big day in the church calendar? Because this is big, good news. This is big, beautiful, beautiful news for us as followers of Jesus. And for those of us that maybe are not in this room, it's just a reckoning of like, okay, what's this story about? This is what it's about. Paul says this is of first importance. We're no longer dead in our sin, but we're made alive. And it's not gonna be floating disembodied spirits everywhere. We are going to rule and reign just like in the garden. This project is going somewhere and we will rule and reign with him forever. And so I've said this before. What I notice is a lot of Jesus followers want a king without a kingdom, right? A lot of people, hey, I'm into like celebrating Easter and um, singing the songs that we do and reflecting in that way, but we don't want a kingdom. The world out there feels like it's longing for a kingdom but doesn't want a king. And I would say the story is we have a king who gave of himself, gave his entire life, and we have a kingdom. And in many ways, you cannot disconnect these things. Jesus is taking the world somewhere. Are you with me? Are you out there? 
this is really good news. Sorry, I just see, if, if anything's going to be accused of, it's going to be like talking about this in light of the good news. Now, one of the things Paul actually does in one of his other letters, and we're just going to kind of close down here and move towards the tables, end here. Over the next several weeks throughout the spring, we're going to be walking through Paul's letter um, to the church in Colossae. It's called Colossians. And if you want to turn there, there's actually a poem that Paul puts in this, this letter. And right at the beginning, he's trying to work with this church because there's a lot of cultural factors within the church pulling them away from the kingdom of God and from what's happening. And Paul uh, is, is writing this, and there's a, there's a poem actually in here that he um, writes to the community of people. And it gives us a snapshot of who King Jesus is. It says this. We give thanks to God, verse three, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. If you go down to verse nine, for this reason also since the day you heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he writes this poem, look down, verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and they've been created for him. He is before all things and in him all things are held together. He is also head of one body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And so actually the early church, this was a, a prominent poem and a way in which they would reflect as they would come together thinking about the, the preeminence and the superiority of Jesus. This is Paul's way to say Jesus over everything. This is how we as communities and this is what we enter into. Jesus over everything. He is supreme and this is what we're going to look at over the next several weeks. And so the reminder to us of what God is doing in the world and at Easter it's a reminder for us that Jesus is over all. Brothers and sisters, you and I are created for this. Uh, a little while, just a couple weeks ago, and I, I'm very empathetic to this, by the way, but I was uh, just around somebody and they had said, no, 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 like, I don't believe in God, right? The classic, I don't believe in God. And hey, that's okay. But I got thinking, everything within me kind of wanted to say back to them, I don't really believe in you. Is that mean? Is that terrible? I'm a nice guy, I promise. And the reason why that was kind of my response is because this is so embodied. Well, well, you would say, well, how can you not believe in me? Like, I'm here in flesh and blood, and I'm talking to you, and I'm, I'm present, and I would say, exactly. 
That would be my response. Everything all around us, the signs of the times point us to King Jesus, right? I don't believe in God. Well, hey, cool. But I look around and I go, I think there's a lot of evidence around us that points us to this. Uh, I've shared this example. We're gonna come to the tables and we have actually have a unique way and we're gonna take some time to reflect. I've used this example if you've been around this story here for a while and shared this story, but a bunch of you are new and I think it, it paints a, a picture of kind of how we are created to be attached to God. So Judah, who's in kids, so I can just like trash talk him all day. This is great. He's not in here. Are you in here? He's not in here, which is awesome. Even better, I was worried he was gonna be in here. When he was four and in king, kindergarten, some of you, again, you have heard this, so bear with me, but... In, in kindergarten, he was really, really excited because it was the end of the year and it was an open house and his class was going to sing for us. So he was really excited. And so he brought a, an invitation home that said at two o'clock on like one of the last days in June, you're gonna come and it's gonna be an open house for the class and you're gonna come and you're gonna hear us sing. And so Judas pumped, he brings us this little uh, flyer, we put it on the fridge, okay man, we'll be there at two o'clock, it's gonna be awesome to come and hear you sing. And so four-year-old Judah, for about three weeks, every single day is like, mom, dad, you gonna come and hear me sing, right? Next day, mom, dad, you gonna come and hear me sing? Yes, Judah, I promise. And this was like every day, every day he's dialing in, mom, dad, you gonna come and hear us sing? Judah, I freaking promise, we're going to come and hear you sing. And so I took the day off because obviously there's a little bit of pressure being asked every day to make sure that we were there to hear him sing. And so I thought, you know what, probably the best thing to do because we know how, how kindergarten parents are, they're a little nuts. We're, if we don't go early, right, we're gonna probably get back row seats and we wanna get in there. So we, we went early. And so we were like, let's just go like super early. Let's go an hour early, one o'clock, kind of show up, make sure we're there and everything is good. And... Um, we show, sorry, 1.30, sorry, 1.30. I said, okay, we're gonna go half an hour early. We'll show up, we'll have good seats, it'll be great. And so we park the car, we get close to the classroom and we hear singing, hear singing. And as we get closer, in my, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, like probably they're just practicing because we're here half an hour early. Um, it's all gonna be good. But as we got closer and closer to the door, we realized that seats were filled, it sounded like a buzzing room, and as we walked in, they finished their very last song. And so we walk in, the place is full, and we see this kid just in tears, just crying, weeping. And so parent of the year, we didn't realize that they had sent out another invitation saying it was an hour early at one o'clock and we had walked in half an hour right at the end of the half an hour thing. And so you can imagine how that went over. And so we're like, you know, Heather and I in the moment are like frantic. They're trying to show us like pictures and Play-Doh and I'm like, we're having our own like marriage problems in the moment here. Like just thinking, what, what, how did this happen, right? Parent of the year. What was interesting is our neighbors at the time, they filmed the whole thing on their iPhone. And so later that night after much healing and probably ice cream, um, we're watching this and it was fascinating just to watch. Song one, there's this kid who is singing, but you can tell his eyes are just, just wandering. They're looking to and fro for mom and dad. 
Song two, you can see like uh, tears, just like his mouth is still moving, you know? His mouth is still trying to sing the song and tears are coming down as he's looking to and fro, fro in the room. Then the third song is like there's no more mouth moving, right? Just tears coming down. And interestingly enough, as the song ended and we walked in, he actually walked right by Jay, our neighbor at the time, who had the camera right by, by and into Heather's arms. And I can't shake that moment and that image because I do think it's an image for us. In all of our wandering, in all of our, I don't believe in God. Cool, man. Cool. In all of the, the struggle, and I'll talk about my own life, my own wandering, I look around again at a city, uh, injustice, pain, suffering. In all of that, you and I were created to be attached to God. And Easter is the beginning of this great reconciliation project. It is a moment in time in history that invites you and I back into him. All the wrong, everything that's gone wrong in the world, we are these people on this day that say resurrection matters because a God came to us. Brothers and sisters, you and I will raise again. I will go to my grave speaking this because I believe this is God's vision for the world. And so some of us in this room, the tension is, some of us, we've just done this a lot, especially for some of us that are getting older. Like, I woke up this morning, Resurrection Sunday, the sun is shining, driving kind of eastward on, the sun is kind of in my eyes, driving eastward on Springbank Drive. We got into this room 45 minutes late because they forgot to open for us, so we're all kind of sweating under our arms. I mean, I've done this Easter thing 39 or 40 times. This is, my 40, this is my 39th time doing this Easter thing, right? And it can maybe just feel like, yeah, that's just the thing we do every single year. But brothers and sisters, I hope we're just reminded what this means for us. For others of us in this room, there is the wandering, right? There is the wandering this morning. And Jesus wants to invite us back in to his family. He's laid down his life for us. The invitation is out. And just as Paul would highlight with these churches, Jesus over everything. You know, I like one scholar who said, hey, whether, whether you know, we kind of submit and, and enter our lives into this now, it's going to happen. God's kingdom is coming to earth. And that's the invitation. You with me? You with me? Okay, so here's how we're gonna kind of wind down this morning, Easter 2023. Um, there's a wall over here that says, because he lives. And in a minute, the team is going to lead us through some uh, music and some response and, and reflection through music. And you can uh, actually take, there's sticky notes, there's examples there, but maybe you want to take as part of your reflection this morning, take some time to go over to that wall and just write on a piece of paper and stick it to the wall what resurrection and what this means for you. Just as almost like a verbal response on paper, as a, a response from within to say this is what Jesus' resurrection, his power means for us. We're also gonna come to the table. And I know like since COVID, uh, communion for us has been pretty like sanitary. It's like rip open the pack and the, the wafer and the little shot of juice or whatever. But we're gonna come to the table and you'll notice back there that there's like jugs that you can pour for yourself. 
uh, for juice. And we're just going to ask that you just take some off one of the loaves of bread and bring it back. And this morning, normally we do communion. We uh, take time to do communion um, kind of individually. We're going to all bring it back as we sing together. And so we'll give like five or six minutes for that. And if you just want to pour yourself some and and some of the juice and uh, uh, take off some of the bread, just hold that and, and keep that with you as you sing. Collectively today, we're going to kind of enter into communion that way. We'll give you lots of time. You can also use the wall after our gathering just as a way of of response, as a way to kind of enter into that. So brothers and sisters, would you stand with me? Stand with me. And I just want to just... It's just while we're just reflecting, and maybe you just want to close your eyes for a second before we sing and move to the tables, but just want to, again, just for us this morning, just to invite you, if you're not a follower of King Jesus, just to enter into that. And the way is just through repentance, from turning from our sin, turning around and following him. And on Easter Sunday, 2023, this is just an invitation into that. Maybe you're here, you don't know how you got here. Maybe a friend invited you, whatever it is. May you just be invited into this way of life. And the promise is kingdom. The promise is relationship. The, 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 the promise is, in a sense, reattachment, being drawn back into God's love and So I'd invite you this morning as part of this. If you need somebody to talk to, or a couple of us are going to be around myself, I'll be at the back for the next few minutes. If you need that, come come see me. Come see us. And Jesus, I pray as we move to the tables for every person in this room, that resurrection would mark our lives. That image of even that closing story, God, may just remind us that As much as we try our own thing, you draw us in. So thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And we do what we can really only do. We do what you remind us to do, to remember with the bread and cup as a way to remember your love for us. So as we sing, be among us. As we write, be among us. As we reflect with our minds, be among us. As we move our bodies to the table, be among us. Do your work. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, the table is open. Let's move. These guys are going to lead us. Let's sing together. Let's bring our lives before King Jesus this morning.